Story Twenty, Part Two of Sea Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Sea Stories, edited by Cyrus Townsend Brady. Story Twenty, Part Two. The Merchantmen and the Pirate. From Hard Cash by Charles Reed. By this time all eyes were turned upon her, and half a dozen glasses. Everybody except the captain delivered an opinion. She was a Greek, lying to for water. She was a Malay coming north with canes, and short of hands. She was a pirate watching the straits. The captain leaned silent and sombre with his arms on the bulwarks and watched the suspected craft. Mr. Fullalove joined the group and leveled a powerful glass of his own construction. His inspection was long and minute, and while the glass was at his eye, Sharp asked him, half in a whisper, could he make out anything? Wall, said he, the varmint looks considerably snaky. Then, without removing his glass, he let drop a word at a time, as if the facts were trickling into his telescope at the lens and out at the sight. One, two, four, seven, false ports. There was a momentary murmur among the officers all around. But British sailors are undemonstrative. Colonel Keneally, strolling the deck with a cigar, saw they were watching another ship with maritime curiosity, and making comments, but he discerned no particular emotion nor anxiety in what they said, nor in the grave low tones they said it in. Perhaps a brother seaman would, though. The next observation that trickled out of Fullalove's tube was this. I judge there are too few hands on deck and too many white eyeballs glittering at the portholes. "'Confound it,' muttered Bayliss uneasily. "'How can you see that?' Fullalove replied only by quietly handing his glass to Dodd. The captain, thus appealed to, glued his eye to the tube. "'Well, sir, see the false ports and the white eyebrows?' asked Sharp ironically. "'I see this is the best glass I ever looked through,' said Dodd doggedly, without interrupting his inspection. "'I think he is a Malay pirate,' said Mr. Gray. Sharp took him up very quickly, and indeed angrily. "'Nonsense! And if he is, he won't venture on a craft of this size.' "'Says the whale to the swordfish,' suggested Fullalove, with a little guttural laugh. The captain, with the American glass at his eye, turned half round to the man at the wheel. "'Starboard. Starboard it is. Steer south-south-east. Aye, aye, sir.' And the ship's course was thus altered two points. This order lowered Dodd fifty percent in Mr. Sharp's estimation. He held his tongue as long as he could, but at last his surprise and dissatisfaction burst out of him. "'Won't that bring him out on us?' "'Very likely, sir,' replied Dodd. "'Begging your pardon, Captain, would it not be wiser to keep our course and show the blackguard we don't fear him?' "'When we do, 
sharp he has made up his mind an hour ago whether to lie still or bite my changing course two points won't change his mind but it may make him declare it and i must know what he does intend before i run this ship into the narrows ahead oh i see said sharp half convinced the alteration in the agra's course produced no movement on the part of the mysterious schooner she lay too under the land still and with only a few hands on deck while the agra edged away from her and entered the straits between long island and point leet leaving the schooner about two miles and a half distant to the northwest ah the stranger's deck swarms black with men his sham ports fell as if by magic his guns grinned through the gaps like black teeth his huge foresail rose and filled and out he came in chase the breeze was a kiss from heaven the sky a vaulted sapphire the sea a million dimples of liquid lucid gold the way the pirate dropped the mask showed his black teeth and bore up in chase was terrible so dilates and bounds the sudden tiger on his unwary prey there were stout hearts among the officers of the peaceable agra but danger in a new form shakes the brave and this was their first pirate their dismay broke out in ejaculations not loud but deep sharp said dodd in a tone that conveyed no suspicion of the newcomer set the royals and flying jib port port it is cried the man at the helm steer due south and with these words in his mouth dodd dived to the gun deck by this time elastic sharp had recovered the first shock and the order to crowd sail on the ship galled his pride and his manhood he muttered indignantly the white feather this eased his mind and he obeyed orders as briskly as ever while he and his hands were setting every rag the ship could carry on that tack the other officers having unluckily no orders to execute stood gloomy and helpless with their eyes glued by a sort of sombre fascination on that coming fate realize the situation and the strange incongruity between the senses and the mind in these poor fellows the day had ripened in beauty beneath a purple heaven shone sparkled and laughed a blue sea in whose waves the tropical sun seemed to have fused his beams and beneath that fair sinless peaceful sky wafted by a balmy breeze over those smiling transparent golden waves a bloodthirsty pirate bore down on them with a crew of human tigers and a lady babble 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 babbled in their quivering ears but now the captain came bustling on deck eyed the loftier sails saw they were drawing well appointed four midshipmen a staff to convey his orders gave bayliss charge of the carronades gray of the cutlasses and directed Mr. Tickle to break the bad news gently to Mrs. Beresford, and to take her below to the Orlop deck, ordered the purser to serve out beef, biscuit, and grog to all hands, saying, men can't work on an empty stomach, and fighting is hard work, then beckoned the officers to come round him. Gentlemen, said he confidentially, in crowding sail on this ship, I had no hope of escaping that fellow on this tack but i was and am most anxious to gain the open sea 
where I can square my yards and run for it if I see a chance. At present I shall carry on till he comes up within range, and then, to keep the company's canvas from being shot to rags, I shall shorten sail, and to save ship and cargo and all our lives I shall fight while a plank of her swims. Better to be killed in hot blood than walk the plank in cold. The officers cheered faintly. The captain's dogged resolution stirred up theirs. Shorten sail to the topsails and jib, get the colors ready on the halyards, and then send the men aft. Sail was no sooner shortened, and the crew ranged, than the captain came briskly on deck, saluted, jumped on a carronade, and stood erect. He was not the man to show the crew his forebodings. Pipe. Silence, fore and aft. My men, the schooner coming up on our weather quarter is a Portuguese pirate. His character is known. He scuttles all the ships he boards, dishonors the women, and murders the crew. We cracked on to get out of the narrows, and now we have shortened sail to fight this blackguard, and teach him not to molest a British ship. I promise in the company's name twenty pounds prize money to every man before the mast if we beat him off or outmaneuver him, thirty if we sink him, and forty if we tow him astern into a friendly port. Eight guns are clear below, three on the weather side, five on the lee. For if he knows his business, he will come up on the lee quarter. If he doesn't, that is no fault of yours nor mine. The muskets are all loaded, the cutlasses ground like razors. Hurrah! We have got women to defend. Hurrah! A good ship under our feet, the god of justice overhead, British hearts in our bosoms, and British colors flying. Run em up! Over our heads. The ship's colors flew up to the fore, and the Union Jack to the mizzen peak. Now, lads, I mean to fight this ship while a plank of her, stamping on the deck, swims beneath my foot. And what do you say? The reply was a fierce, Hurrah! from a hundred throats, so loud, so deep, so full of volume, it made the ship vibrate, and rang in the creeping-on pirate's ears. Fierce but cunning, he saw mischief in those shortened sails, and that Union Jack, the terror of his tribe, rising to a British cheer. He lowered his mainsail and crawled up on the weather quarter, Arrived within a cable's length, he double-reefed his foresail to reduce his rate of sailing nearly to that of the ship, and the next moment a tongue of flame and then a gash of smoke issued from his lee bow, and the ball flew screaming like a seagull over the Agra's mizzen-top. He then put his helm up and fired his other bow-chaser, and sent the shot hissing and skipping on the water past the ship. This prologue made the novices wince. Bayliss wanted to reply with a carronade, but Dodd forbade him sternly, saying, "'If we keep him aloof, we are done for.' The pirate drew nearer, and fired both guns in succession, hulled the Agra amidships, and sent an eighteen-pound ball through her foresail. Most of the faces were pale on the quarter-deck. It was very trying to be shot at and hit, and make no return.' The next double discharge sent one shot smash through the stern cabin window, and splintered the bulwark with another, wounding a seaman slightly. "'Lie down forward,' shouted Dodd through his trumpet. "'Bayliss, give him a shot.' 
the carronade was fired with a tremendous report but no visible effect the pirate crept nearer steering in and out like a snake to avoid the carronades and firing those two heavy guns alternately into the devoted ship he hulled the agra now nearly every shot the two available carronades replied noisily and jumped as usual they sent one thirty-two pound shot clean through the schooner's deck and side but that was literally all they did worth speaking of curse them cried dodd load them with grape they are not to be trusted with ball and all my eighteen-pounders dumb the coward won't come alongside and give them a chance at the next discharge the pirate chipped the mizzenmast and knocked a sailor into dead pieces on the forecastle. dodd put his helm down ere the smoke cleared and got three carronades to bear heavily laden with grape several pirates fell dead or wounded on the crowded deck and some holes appeared in the foresail this one interchange was quite in favor of the ship but the lesson made the enemy more cautious he crept nearer but steered so adroitly now right astern now on the quarter that the ship could seldom bring more than one carronade to bear while he raked her fore and aft with grape and ball in this alarming situation dodd kept as many of the men below as possible but for all he could do four were killed and seven wounded Fullalove's word came too true it was the swordfish and the whale it was a fight of hammer and anvil one hit the other made a noise cautious and cruel the pirate hung on the poor hulking creature's quarters and raked her at point-blank distance he made her pass a bitter time and her captain to see the splintering hull the parting shrouds the shivered gear and hear the shrieks and groans of his wounded and he unable to reply in kind the sweat of agony poured down his face oh if he could but reach the open sea and square his yards and make a long chase of it perhaps fall in with aid wincing under each heavy blow he crept doggedly patiently on towards that one visible hope at last when the ship was cloven with shot and peppered with grape the channel opened in five minutes more he could put her dead before the wind no the pirate on whose side luck had been from the first got half a broadside to bear at long musket shot killed a midshipman by dodd's side cut away two of the agra's mizzen shrouds wounded the gaff and cut the jib stay down fell that powerful sail into the water and dragged across the ship's forefoot stopping her way to the open sea she panted for the mates groaned the crew cheered stoutly as british tars do in any great disaster the pirates yelled with ferocious triumph like the devils they looked but most human events even calamities have two sides the agra being brought almost to a standstill the pirate forged ahead against his will and the combat took a new and terrible form the elephant gun popped and the rifle cracked in the agra's mizzen top and the man at the pirate's helm jumped into the air and fell dead both theorists claimed him then the three carronades peppered him hotly and he hurled an iron shower back with fatal effect then at last the long eighteen-pounders on the gun-deck got a word in the old niler was not the man to miss a vessel alongside in a quiet sea 
he sent two round-shot clean through him. The third splintered his bulwark and swept across his deck. "'His masts! Fire at his masts!' roared Dodd to Monk through his trumpet. Then he got the jib clear and made what sail he could without taking all the hands from the guns. This kept the vessels nearly alongside a few minutes, and the fight was hot as fire. The pirate now for the first time hoisted his flag. It was black as ink. His crew yelled as it rose. The Britons, instead of quailing, cheered with fierce derision. The pirate's wild crew of yellow Malays, black chinless Papuans, and bronzed Portuguese served their side-guns, twelve-pounders, well and with ferocious cries, while the white Britons, drunk with battle now, naked to the waist, grimed with powder, and spotted like leopards with blood, their own and their mates, replied with loud undaunted cheers, and deadly hail of grape from the quarter-deck while the master-gunner and his mates, loading with a rapidity the mixed races opposed could not rival, hulled the schooner well between wind and water, and then fired chain-shot at her masts as ordered, and began to play the mischief with her shrouds and rigging. Meantime, Fullalove and Keneally, aided by Vespasian, who loaded, were quietly butchering the pirate crew too a minute, and hoped to settle the question they were fighting for, smooth-bore versus rifle but unluckily neither fired once without killing, so there was nothing proven. The pirate, bold as he was, got sick of fair fighting first. He hoisted his mainsail and drew rapidly ahead, with a slight bearing to windward, and dismounted a carronade and stove in the ship's quarter-boat by way of a parting kick. The men hurled a contemptuous cheer after him. They thought they had beaten him off. But Dodd knew better. He was but retiring a little way, to make a more deadly attack than ever. He would soon wear and cross the Agra's defenseless bows, to rake her fore and aft at pistol-shot distance, or grapple and board the enfeebled ship two hundred strong. Dodd flew to the helm, and with his own hands put it hard a-weather, to give the deck-guns one more chance, the last, of sinking or disabling the destroyer. As the ship obeyed, and a deck-gun bellowed below him, he saw a vessel running out from Long Island, and coming swiftly up on his lee quarter. It was a schooner. Was she coming to his aid? Horror! A black flag floated from her foremast head. While Dodd's eyes were staring almost out of his head at this death-blow to hope, Monk fired again, and just then a pale face came close to Dodd's and a solemn voice whispered in his ear, "'Our ammunition is nearly done.' Dodd seized Sharp's hand convulsively, and pointed to the pirate's consort, coming up to finish them, and said, with the calm of a brave man's despair, "'Cutlasses, and die hard.' At that moment the master gunner fired his last gun. It sent a chain-shot on board the retiring pirate, took off a Portuguese head, and spun it clean into the sea, ever so far to windward, and cut the schooner's foremast so nearly through that it trembled and nodded, and presently snapped with a loud crack, and came down like a broken tree, with the yard and sail, the latter overlapping the deck and burying itself, black flag and all, in the sea. And there, in one moment, lay the destroyer, buffeting and wriggling, 
like a heron on the water with its long wing broken, an utter cripple. The victorious crew raised a stunning cheer. "'Silence!' roared Dodd with his trumpet. "'All hands make sail!' He set his courses, bent a new jib, and stood out to windward, close-hauled, in hopes to make a good offing, and then put his ship dead before the wind, which was now rising to a stiff breeze. In doing this he crossed the crippled pirate's bows within eighty yards, and sore was the temptation to rake him, but his ammunition being short, and his danger being imminent from the other pirate, he had the self-command to resist the great temptation. He hailed the mizzen-top. "'Can you two hinder them from firing that gun?' "'I rather think we can,' said Fullalove, "'A eh, Colonel?' and tapped his long rifle. The ship no sooner crossed the schooner's bows than a melee ran forward with a linstock. Pop! went the Colonel's ready carbine, and the melee fell over dead, and the linstock flew out of his hand. A tall Portuguese, with a movement of rage, snatched it up and darted to the gun. The Yankee rifle cracked, but a moment too late. Bang! went the pirate's bow-chaser, and crashed into the Agra's side, and passed nearly through her. "'You missed him! You missed him!' cried the rival theorist joyfully. He was mistaken. The smoke cleared, and there was the pirate captain, leaning wounded against the mainmast, with a Yankee bullet in his shoulder, and his crew uttering yells of dismay and vengeance. They jumped and raged and brandished their knives, and made horrid gesticulations of revenge, and the white eyeballs of the Malays and Papuans glittered fiendishly, and the wounded captain raised his sound arm and had a signal hoisted to his consort, and she bore up in chase, and jamming her four-lateen flat as a board, lay far nearer the wind than the Agra could, and sailed three feet to her two besides. On this superiority being made clear, the situation of the merchant vessel, though not so utterly desperate as before Monk fired his lucky shot, became pitiable enough. If she ran before the wind, the fresh pirate would cut her off. If she lay too windward, she might postpone the inevitable and fatal collision with a foe as strong as that she had only escaped by a rare piece of luck. But this would give the crippled pirate time to refit and unite to destroy her. Add to this the failing ammunition and the thinned crew. Dodd cast his eyes all around the horizon for help. The sea was blank. The bright sun was hidden now. Drops of rain fell, and the wind was beginning to sing, and the sea to rise a little. "'Gentlemen,' said he, "'let us kneel down and pray for wisdom in this sore strait.' He and his officers kneeled on the quarter-deck. When they rose, Dodd stood wrapped about a minute— his great thoughtful eye saw no more the enemy, the sea, nor anything external. It was turned inward. His officers looked at him in silence. "'Sharp,' said he at last, "'there must be a way out of them with such a breeze as this is now. If we could but see it.' "'Aye, if,' groaned Sharp. Dodd mused again. "'About ship,' said he softly, like an absent man. "'Aye, aye, sir.' "'Steer due north,' said he, still like one whose mind was elsewhere. 
while the ship was coming about he gave minute orders to the mates and the gunner to ensure cooperation in the delicate and dangerous manoeuvres that were sure to be on hand the wind was west-northwest he was standing north one pirate lay on his lee beam stopping a leak between wind and water and hacking the deck clear of his broken masts and yards the other fresh and thirsting for the easy prey came up to weather on him and hang on his quarter pirate fashion when they were distant about a cable's length the fresh pirate to meet the ship's change of tactics changed his own luffed up and gave the ship a broadside well aimed but not destructive the guns being loaded with ball dodd instead of replying immediately put his helm hard up and ran under the pirate's stern while he was jammed up in the wind and with his five eighteen-pounders raked him fore and aft then paying off gave him three carronades crammed with grape and canister the almost simultaneous discharge of eight guns made the ship tremble and enveloped her in thick smoke loud shrieks and groans were heard from the schooner the smoke cleared the pirate's mainsail hung on deck his jib-boom was cut like a carrot and the sail struggling his foresail looked lace lanes of dead and wounded lay still or writhing on his deck and his lee scuppers ran blood into the sea dodd squared his yards and bore away the ship rushed down the wind leaving the schooner staggered and all abroad but not for long the pirate wore and fired his bow chasers at the now flying agra split one of the carronades in two and killed a lascar and made a hole in the foresail this done he hoisted his mainsail again in a trice sent his wounded below flung his dead overboard to the horror of their foes and came after the flying ship yawning and firing his bow chasers the ship was silent she had no shot to throw away not only did she take these blows like a coward but all signs of life disappeared on her except two men at the wheel and the captain on the main gangway dodd had ordered the crew out of the rigging armed them with cutlasses and laid them flat on the forecastle. He also compelled Keneally and Fullalove to come down out of harm's way, no wiser on the smooth-bore question than when they went up. The great patient ship ran environed by her foes, one destroyer right in her course, another in her wake, following her with yells of vengeance and pounding away at her, but no reply. Suddenly the yells of the pirates on both sides ceased, and there was a moment of dead silence on the sea. Yet nothing fresh had happened. Yes, this had happened. The pirates to windward, and the pirates to leeward, of the Agra, had found out, at one and the same moment, that the merchant captain they had lashed, and bullied, and tortured, was a patient but tremendous man. It was not only to rake the fresh schooner he had put his ship before the wind, but also, by a double, daring, master-stroke, to hurl his monster ship bodily on the other. Without a foresail, she could never get out of his way. Her crew had stopped the leak, and cut away and unshipped the broken foremast, and were stepping a new one, when they saw the huge ship bearing down in full sail. Nothing easier than to slip out of her way could they get the foresail to draw, but the time was short, the deadly intention manifest, the coming destruction swift. 
after that solemn silence came a storm of cries and curses as their seamen went to work to fit the yard and raise the sail while their fighting men seized their matchlocks and trained the guns they were well commanded by a heroic able villain astern the consort thundered but the agra's response was a dead silence more awful than broadsides for then was seen with what majesty the enduring anglo-saxon fights one of that indomitable race on the gangway one at the foremast two at the wheel conned and steered the great ship down on a hundred matchlocks and a grinning broadside just as they would have conned and steered her into a british harbour starboard said dodd in a deep calm voice with a motion of his hand starboard it is the pirate wriggled ahead a little the man forward made a silent signal to dodd port said dodd quietly port it is but at this critical moment the pirate astern sent a mischievous shot and knocked one of the men to adams at the helm dodd waved his hand without a word and another man rose from the deck and took his place in silence and laid his unshaking hand on the wheel stained with that man's warm blood whose place he took the high ship was now scarce sixty yards distant she seemed to know she reared her lofty figurehead with great awful shoots into the air but now the panting pirates got their new foresail hoisted with a joyful shout it drew the schooner gathered way and their furious consort close on the agra's heels just then scourged her deck with grape port said dodd calmly port it is the giant prow darted at the escaping pirate that acre of coming canvas took the wind out of the swift schooner's foresail it flapped oh then she was doomed crash the indiaman's cutwater in thick smoke beat in the schooner's broadside down went her masts to leeward like fishing-rods whipping the water there was a horrible shrieking yell wild forms leaped off on the agra and were hacked to pieces almost ere they reached the deck a surge a chasm in the ear filled with an instant rush of engulfing waves a long awful grating grinding noise never to be forgotten in this world all along under the ship's keel and the fearful majestic monster passed on over the blank she had made with a pale crew standing silent and awestruck on her deck a cluster of wild heads and staring eyeballs bobbing like corks in her foaming wake sole relic of the blotted-out destroyer and a wounded man staggering on the gangway with hands uplifted and staring eyes end of story twenty part two biographical notes charles reed english novelist and playwright born eighteen fourteen died eighteen eighty four studied at oxford and was called to the bar he wrote several plays which proved very popular of his eighteen novels may be mentioned peg waffington christie johnson it is never too late to mend the cloister and the hearth hard cash griffith gaunt foul play and a terrible temptation <laughs>